Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Surf and Sales podcast. I'm Scott Lease here with my good friend and co-host Richard Harris. And we are brought to you today by the following sponsors, Salesforce Revenue Cloud, Gong.io, and Lead411.com. Good friends and good partners of ours. We appreciate all their support. We have a very special show for you today. I don't know, but not very many people know this. I get asked this all the time, and, and I don't even know if he knows it. So I'm going to kind of put him on the spot here. But I get asked all the time, hey, Scott, who's your mentor? And one of the things that I say is one of the great regrets of my career is that I don't really feel like I've had a super close professional mentor that I've worked alongside like the whole time. The closest one that I've ever had is this guy named Mike Lindstrom. How do you know Mike? How did all that happen? I'm like, well, I got my first ever sales job at this company called Reply. Mike came in and was a coach and consultant. We had a good relationship. As the years went by, I kind of stayed in touch with him. I asked him questions about consulting, all these kind of things. So I'm super excited to bring my good friend and closest thing to a mentor. I don't know if I've ever told you this, Mike, that, that I've had a business coach, professional speaker, author, Radio host as well. I know I can't. There's so many different monikers that he has. Mike Lindstrom, everybody, welcome to the show, Mike. Thank you so much, man. No, I did not know that. I always considered you in, in the mentee position at times uh, during that story. That and I know we'll cover that in the next hour. But uh, no, I appreciate that, man. That's a big compliment. That's why I do what I, I gotta, do. So, Scott, you should really be thanking me because because I didn't hire you. You got hired at Reply, <laughs> that's right. and that's how you met Mike. So I was that's mentoring right. you before you even knew me, just so you uh, know, right? Uh, yeah, so, yeah. so a shout out to Richard, then I have to thank him for bringing Scott to us, because I was actually a shareholder of the organization, and we did okay with that, that venture. So that was a nice ride. Thank you, Richard. Yeah, yeah. Everybody, everybody won. Mike, give everybody uh, you know, a little bit of background on, on uh, you know, what you're doing right now. I know there's a lot of different things and, and just so people have context for like where your, your sales and leadership, you know, acumen and, and stuff is coming from. Yeah. Wow. Where do I start? So, you know, it's funny. I came across, I know we follow each other on social media. I had posted about a week ago about the fact that it's been 12 months since I've been on an airplane. True story. Yeah. I have, I, my parents were divorced when I was very young. So my mom lived in North Carolina and my dad lived in California. My first flight was when I was five years old by myself, which is unheard of, right? We're all dads here. Can you imagine sticking your five year old no. on a plane from Sacramento to Charlotte, North Carolina? Well, I, I was that kid. Um, I wear the lanyard. I sat there with my little wings and the flight attendant took care of me and all that stuff. So for my whole life from five, um, till this past year, I've always traveled every couple months from, from as long as I have existed as a businessman, for sure. So I became the last year of Mr. Virtual, right? I was able to pivot using a lot of this technology. I was already using Zoom. I was using Vidyard. I was using a lot of these um, technologies. So where I was normally on a stage four or five times a month, literally traveling around the country doing keynotes, uh, regional trainings, client trainings, um, you name it, uh, you know, sales trips where you're the guest speaker. Um, that hasn't happened. So I've, I've, this is my office here in Phoenix. I turned it into a quasi office, a studio this way, office that way. And, uh, and this is where I've been living here in this, this chair and this microphone. I'm doing sales training, management training, coaching, uh, virtual trainings. I'm a Vistage speaker. So now I'm doing three or four Sometimes keynotes a day, you know, when, when the wave comes through, it's not daily, but when it comes up, I do three or four in a given day. So that's kind of nice. Uh, the COVID world, I've been able to kind of reframe the, the negative aspects of what it could be um, and turn it into what it is today. Yeah. And you, you probably took up your capacity, I would assume. 
Yeah. Right? You can, well, I mean, like, I, you know, I'm sure you guys have interviewed a lot of other professionals. Your time is, you, you buy back time that you don't think about, you know, from the house Ubering to the airport, being in the airport, right? And you take all those hours back and you can sit here. We can be so much more efficient. So do, you think do, it'll, you, do you think it'll go back to normal? Do you think people are going to like want trainers to come back into the office? You know, I have this belief that like 30%. the flip side of that, do you, do you want to go back? That, that, so yeah, the answer is I don't think it's going to go back full blown for a couple of years. I, yeah. I really don't. I don't see myself on, you know, four or five stages, even, even budgetarily guys, companies now look at it and go, well, wait a minute, we pay Mike, you know, 10 or $12,000 for a one hour keynote. We can keep them virtual and we can get half that because he doesn't have to be on an airplane. He likes to be around his two sons. He values it. And uh, we uh, can see bullsh- right, Mike, they're, they're playing you, man. Like that's bad sales. Like they, they paid you 12 grand because because you're Mike, not whether you were there in person. Give me I, a break. But that's, but that's I agree with you 100 percent. But that paradigm shift, it's, it's hard to stay out ahead of it because now they have a belief when they're budgeting training that they don't have to pay for a, a fair airfare. They don't have to pay for a hotel. My Ubers, my meals. How, right? how is that your problem to solve? How is their budget your problem to solve? Oh, no, I agree. But that's just the reality I've been confronted with the last 90 days when I'm talking. These are like longstanding big clients. When they come back to me and say, Mike, I know I'm the regional director, but my CFO said we only have this much of a budget because his belief is we can do all these stuff or things virtual now. So, you know, what, I lose the client or do I work with them? Yeah, you know, you test one or two and see what happens. Yeah. You know. Who's, who's your least favorite of the clients? Go That's ahead, name, them, name drop them, <laughs> right? So I took my rates up last year because of this, actually. That's good. So, well, mine, mine have gone back up as well. It was during yeah, COVID, yeah. They, they dropped back down, but now they've seen this spike back upwards. So, but I'm not going to argue with longstanding clients, but I still want to maintain a relationship. I can, I can agree with that. Yeah. What, where, where did you fall in love with sales? Like, are you, are you so, part of Scott's trash, trash bin of salespeople? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I know his. I know I've read his book, of course. Um, no, I'm not. Actually, I'm a lawyer by education. I went to law school uh, because I, I was always of the mindset of logic. There's black and there's white and there's an argument in between. Um, it, but I needed a job when I got out of law school and I didn't want to go work at the public defender making 36 grand. That's the truth. And uh, I got this opportunity to work for Tony Robbins, the motivational speaker right there in San Diego. And a good friend of mine had just gotten hired on. He said, hey, we're looking for two more people to add to our sales team. Um, can I, can, are you interested? I said, hell, I get to travel 50 weeks out of the year, see five different cities, make over six figures, uh, have everything paid for, work for Tony Robbins. Let's give it a shot. So I was kind of thrown into sales. And we all know everyone's a salesperson. I was a sales guy in the courtroom in front of a jury and a judge. Now it's thrown into corporate America and dealing with sales teams and management teams. So I wouldn't say I'm cut from that exact cloth that Scott, I took a different path, but my philosophies and beliefs are very much aligned. No, I remember the first, it's not even a sales book. At least I don't think it is, but like the first book that I was given and, and said, Hey, you should read this. It will shape your career, shape your philosophy on, on sales and other it's called Awaken the Giant Within. I don't know if you remember this, Mike, but you you gifted this book to, I think, the whole sales team. Um, I still have the book. I've, I've read it multiple times. And I remember that was just this eye-opening kind of experience for me. Like, holy shit, I've never thought about this kind of stuff before. I don't know anything about this NLP, nothing. And, and I remember that it was like this really eye-opening kind of meaningful, uh, you know, pivotal, pivotal moment in my, my early sales career. You know, 
Yeah, that was a book that was actually gifted to me in college by a fraternity brother of mine. And I actually, I, I love, I love the guy who's my boy, but he was always kind of weird and different. So you kind of looked at the, the giver. So I took the book, I looked at him and I thought, you know, this is probably going to look good, better on my bookshelf. So when I have girls come over, they can think I'm into myself, right? Instead of reading this book. So I never read the book until it was after college and law school. And I got the interview. I had to go back and reread the book before I got the interview. And as you know, that book is about this thick, right? It's thick, very thick. Yeah. yeah. I got a, I got a question. So Scott, because you, you've said you've never really had a mentor, you know, um, and I would, I would agree with you too, that I, I never did that. It's sort of the... A lot of Gen Xers didn't do that. I think um, that's the old school is. version, by the way. That's the, wow, the old school Tony Robbins haircut. The old book. Look at yeah. that! Wow. wow. So, um, sorry. Go ahead, Richard. What you know? When you think about how you've had this relationship with Mike over the years, like what was the piece that kind of kept you going back to ask for advice, right? So that you could kind of yeah. go, you know, I trust this guy. I like this guy. You know. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. You know, there was just something about Mike that was not in existence for me amongst other leadership there at the time. And it had something to do now looking back on it with just rawness and, and authenticity and, and trying to like make a connection with people. And you got to remember, Richard, this, I had been, I'd only had my last surgery like five months prior. So like I'm released into the wild and I am like raw, like my emotions are raw. My, my, my physical wellness and health is raw and it's balancing like on a pendulum. Right. I can remember, you know, Mike doing a, a training where he does this board breaking kind of uh, training where, you know, we like punch through this board. And I remember being like really physically moved by it. And I remember Mike talking about his parents' divorce. And I remember that triggering me in a management meeting that Mike was in. And I was talking about my parents' separation. I remember getting emotional in front of all these other managers. And I remember being totally embarrassed thinking, how the fuck did I, this is like 20 years old, this thing. How am I crying about this in front of these strangers and people that I don't? And, and I remember Mike, you know, talking to me afterwards and, and just like, you know, kind of saying he, he understood and whatnot and, and just very real. Like I'd ask him a question, he'd be like this, and this is why and this is where you can go. Um, and just kind of a little bit of encouragement, you know, and you got to understand, Richard, like Mike was not a full-time employee at Reply. He was a shareholder. He was an advisor. He'd come in and train. But I didn't have access to him all the time. And, you know, I'm, I'm young, insecure, trying to make my way. Like, I don't know what to do. You know, there's no LinkedIn, right? I, I wasn't even text messaging people back then. There's no Zoom calls or nothing. So I'm trying to figure out, like, how do I kind of tap into this resource who might not even want to be accessible to me? And so I, you know, it's kind of going back and forth for years. And I remember as I started to move up in leadership, reaching out and he was very responsive and I've modeled a lot of my behaviors, if you will, in terms of authenticity, rawness, accessibility, you know, being direct, uh, you know, after conversations that I've gotten, uh, you know, from Mike. I don't know if you want to add, oh, add to that. Mike, I want to, wait, I want to, I want to, now I'm going to flip the question and ask Mike. So Mike, and, and it doesn't have to be about Scott. Um, but what are the things you notice in someone where almost like, you know, they're willing to take the advice you give them, mm-hmm. right? Like that's one of the biggest things I see is that people will come and they'll ask for advice and then they don't. 
follow it. And then they come back and ask for more advice and there's nothing more exhausting. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. like I've had to tell, you know, um, I, I can say it, you know, I had to tell my sister, like, stop asking me for advice. You never follow it. Like I'm not going to exhaust myself. But what does that look like? Like if you think about mentors and mentees in the context of this, like what is someone in a leadership position trying to look for? And then also what should that person be vulnerable? What should that mentee be vulnerable about within themselves? Yeah, that's great. That's a fantastic question. That I, I call them the three H's, heart, hunger, heart, hunger and hustle. Uh, I've said that for years and years. I didn't borrow that from anybody. That's just what I, that's in my formula, uh, heart, hunger and hustle. And when I see someone like Scott, there's a certain look in the eye and you can see the hunger. I already knew the heart because he had shared with me stuff about his health and things about his past. So I already knew he was willing to be vulnerable. So he already was checking boxes on the health big time. And, but it was, in the, but how I really get into like the, the hustle part of it and the hunger part of it is the questions that people ask me, you know, if people say, Hey, what books are you reading? Or, Hey, I have this situation I'm going through in my personal life that I'm struggling with, which shows vulnerability how would you get through it? Or how did you get through it? To me, that's a big attraction for me as, as a coach and as a mentor. Scott had that immediately. And not to mention this, that, that unconscious vibe you get, you meet someone for the first time, there's people you meet, you know what I'm talking about? Are you, are you going to go in for the fist bump? Or are you going to like shake, you know, wave or give him a firm handshake? Are you going to come in for the bro hug, right? I knew Scott was kind of like the me, I'm a bro hug kind of guy. I know COVID has changed things a little bit. And that's, that's been fucking with me the whole last year. Because <laughs> I want to come in for the bro hug, but I've been yeah. relegated to the uh, the fist bump. Fist bump. I was, yeah, I was in mass the other day, and I saw my father. Father Steve comes up, you know, leading hard with the elbow, and I'm like, "Come on, Father Steve! I know you're touching everybody here in mass here in a little bit. You give me a fist bump at least, right?" But you know, but I think the biggest thing is is that feeling you get when somebody has that heart, hunger, and hustle vibe to them. And I knew Scott had that, and, I, and that, nothing's changed. I mean, you have to fast forward. That's been that was like 03, 04, 05, yeah. like six timeframes. So here we are, two, you know, 2021. Um, and it's still nothing's changed. I look for that, but I can sense it. Yeah. Yeah, I think what, that's great. I'm, I'm going to stop talking because I know Scott's going to have a question. So. I, got, I got a million, a million questions. Like a million questions. One of the things that um, I've been thinking about and I wanted to ask you, you've been at this for a long time now, 20 something, 25 years ish, if not even more. Um, and, and this is kind of a, a, a weird question, so bear with me. The, the question is like, what is there left to say? What is there left to, to discover or teach? Do you ever get to the point where you feel like, man, I'm just recycling the same old shit? So I want to know about your, your process for, you know, coming up with new, new material, keep things fresh, and, and maybe you could kind of tie a story into, you know, the, the personal retreat that you, you know, did for years, I would imagine you, you still do that. Cause I think that's a really powerful story. Yeah. The, the one I, and I hear you loud and clear, I, especially in the last year, you know, being virtual and doing a lot of, a lot, a lot more reps than I normally would be. You know, if I'm on normal times where I can have a couple of weeks before my next stage, I'm thinking about the audience. Um, I always go back to my past cause you know, your, your life uh, juncture is what I call it. Age, kids age, it gives you new material. That's why I love watching like uh Dave Chappelle, Dave Chappelle's a genius. That guy is just a comedic genius, but, but, but he doesn't, he even said this one time on stage, people say, you know, why are you so good? And he always jokes. He goes, because I'm that good. You know, he laughs at himself, but he, he but then it gets real. And he says, because I already know every new day 
is going to bring me something. Something's in the news. My kids are going to get older. It's going to bring you material, right? As a, as a comedian. And I think it's no different as a speaker. I just take the same type of thing, which was maybe beliefs drive behaviors. I've been saying that for 24 years, right? Beliefs drive behaviors. But then I say, well, then I tell a story about my 12 year old son who's in sixth grade and something he's struggling with. That's something I wouldn't even have thought about five years ago, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, I didn't even have kids. So it isn't even in my possibility. So what I do is take my life juncture and take the material that may not be revolutionary and I package it around what my life is today. And then it creates relatability. COVID, I mean, so many things around COVID, that's beliefs, drive behavior has got a whole new meaning to it. We talk about fear, scarcity and abundance, something I've been teaching for 22 years. Scarcity abundance takes on a completely different meaning when you say, go outside, see people with masks on, stay six feet away from people, basically go against your human needs, which never even would have crossed my mind a year ago. But now I'm speaking to it and people go, wow, God, that's that's so true. And I'm like, this is the same shit I've been saying for 22 years. It's just a different context and it gives people a different paradigm, right? So that's 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 the answer to that one. And, and the other thing that you hit on, which it helps me every year, is doing some kind of a personal retreat with yourself just to kind of reset your life, to think about the juncture. Think about how, how old am I going to be in a year? I mean, guys, I'm going to be, my next big stop is 50. I'm 48 and a half. So I got 50. I'm staring that down. So when I do my retreat this year in December, I'm thinking, okay, man, here we go, baby. You're going to be halfway through, however you look at it. That juncture, uh, and not just that that event of doing two or three days by myself, but that next juncture of my life is going to influence my message uh, and how I do it. But I'm a big fan. You got If you're not getting away with yourself once a year, three or four days, uh, my favorite place still, you heard the story, Scott, was uh, up in Northern California, a place called Spirit Rock Meditation Center. You spend three full days. You can't talk. You can't look at people in the eye. You live in a, in a uh, basically a dorm with another human being you don't know even know you're given your your sheet of what your responsibilities are and the schedule you got to meditate go on walks meditate walk journal walk journal from 7 a.m to 10 o'clock at night for three full days and you don't even open your vocal cords but let me tell you when you meditate go on nature walks and journal and all you are is there with yourself by yourself it starts opening up new content that you don't even need, know is there so even though, you know, the same material may be there, it's giving you a different context to it. So, yeah, go ahead, Richard. I was just going to say, so so what did you do this year, right? Because you couldn't get away. Or did you happen to go in like January or February before shit hit the fan? Yeah, so the answer is I haven't done what I would normally do yet. Um, I did a modified version locally instead of going away and doing the big retreat because the restrictions Now I could have force fit it, but you know, look, I am, I'm married. I have two kids and I've got extended family that have concerns. So I want to be mindful of what's around me. Now people are being vaccinated and things have changed. So what I told myself was in the first quarter, which is where we're upon us, obviously was what, um, what am I going to do this quarter? And I don't do anything that's really like that over the top. I usually go to Sedona as my spot, Sedona Flagstaff. I mean, I'm in Arizona, so it's a two hour jaunt. I can go up there, be around the rocks. I can do some hiking, they have great resorts up there, you know, but the biggest thing is turn off the phone, turn off your emails. You just literally unplug from the world for three days. It doesn't matter if you stay in your own town. I mean, you're in Austin, Texas, you can go 90 miles within where you live and find a pretty kick-ass place to go just camp out and just unplug and not be a part of the world and just work on yourself. What, what do you find, what do you find to be 
the kind of pros of, of working with some of the large corporate clients that you have and those sales organizations in terms of, of how they, they receive, you know, the messaging and the coaching and how receptive they are versus, you know, the times that you spent with companies like Reply where, where, where I first met you and they're, you know, so small and trying to get things, you know, up off the ground and you're a part of the, the growth. How do you, how do you move one way or the other, or do you remain open to both kind of parties? And, and I ask this because I think in the last year plus, um, so many people have gotten into, you know, what they would call side hustles or, you know, side businesses, additional streams of revenue. And a lot of people struggle to figure out their niche or their, uh, you know, their own kind of ICP, if you will. Um, and, and I had a little bit of problems with this. If I rewind the tape 10 years, I remember calling you from Santa Rosa where I was living and saying, Hey, Mike, I got this, you know, kind of consulting opportunity. I need, I need some advice. Some, you know, I got imposter syndrome, blah, blah, blah. So how do you, how did you sort that out as you've navigated your career and what are the advantages, you know, and disadvantages to both? Yeah. So I, I agree with you, by the way, on the, um, you know, with the organizations to your, to your first question is, I, I, I now, I mean, I've always done the custom fit thing instead of just saying, Hey, this is my keynote. And that's, that is, you know, or my training, take it or leave it. Uh, I redo every single presentations, PowerPoint, hundred percent. I don't replicate old stuff. I may cut and paste things and create a new PowerPoint or a new presentation for the individual groups. But I have to, I always say, you know, speed of leader dictates speed of pack, you know, that. So when I'm talking to the leader, CEO or a director of sales, the first thing I'm doing is I'm diagnosing. Where are they at in reality? Are they really open to this? Are they being told they have to do it? Did they do it some survey monkey and they said, oh, we need to bring a trainer in and they're trying to check boxes. So I'm trying to survey at the beginning of the relationship. What am I dealing with? Right. At Reply, it was great because I already had a history with a lot of the leaders. They already we already knew each other. We knew each other's families. We had rapport and trust. Absolute. Right. So there's a, a very warm relationship there before we even start. If it's a cold relationship, somebody hears me on this podcast and says, hey, I love what you have to say. Uh, can I get you on the phone for a half hour and think about bringing in my company? That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to diagnose and figure out what is the leader's objectives and try to figure out how open they are really. Because as you know, there are certain leaders that say they're open to having someone like me come in and be raw uh, and, and be real and authentic and get people vulnerable, but but they really don't. You know, you know my drill, man. I go in there, people start crying. That's not my intent. I'm just going to go there with myself in front of you so you can yeah. tap in and say, man, I thought I was going to get sales trained and this guy's up here making me cry. What's yeah. this about? That's what, that's what I mean. I, I'm wondering in my head are like are startup employees like more receptive to that or like, you know, state farm employees more receptive to that? Or is it no different? It's st startups. Definitely. I would say I would put the startup group over here because they're they're trying to build their culture. Right. And, you know, base word of culture is cult common language, common belief, common direction. So they don't really know their cult yet, right? They're building it. They're all bought into the logo and they're going to go public and all that stuff. So the leaders, the good leaders of, of startups, they know how to channel that. And I never want to be the guy like, let's use the Mike Lindstrom formula. I always ask the leaders, hey, if we're going to get them drinking the Kool-Aid, what are we going to stir in it? It's yours to stir. You founded the company. You built the logo. What are we going to stir into it? You go to a company like, you know, one of my biggest clients, you know, like uh, in the insurance world, you know, the Mutual of Omaha's of the world, the MetLife's of the world. These companies have been around for a long, long time. They have a culture. They have common direction, common language, common belief. So they bring in someone like me. They're, they're not expecting me to come in there and revolutionize their culture. They just want to brush up on maybe 
sales skills, how to be more effective on virtual, how to be, you know, what's your personal brand, you know, whatever the sexy topic is for that time and frame. So I just custom fit for what that is. So it's a very different kind of a, a training when I'm dealing with a big insurance carrier versus a startup, for sure. It's so it's so funny because I feel like I'm sitting here talking to Scott Cyrano de Bergerac, right? Like this is, I, I'm hearing all this. And, and and I mean and I mean it in a very positive way. I mean, you should take that stuff. as a compliment, Mike. You should yeah, take that as a compliment. I do. I, 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 it really is because, you know, I've, I've had the pleasure of not just knowing Scott, but actually working for him and seeing him do these things and get people to be vulnerable and emotional and share stories. And, you know, um, particularly, I think with the way Scott recruits, it makes it, it you know, somewhat easier for, for the type that Scott likes to bring. But it's, it's very eye opening to hear where where it's coming from. And now I don't think Scott's so smart anymore. So, um, you know, <laughs> but no, it's, it's really fascinating. And, and I, I think that's, I just read the I just read the book, the score takes care of itself. And one of the things that, you know, the coach said was that, you know, he knew he was onto something when he could see, you know, he coached something to the coaches who coached it to the players. Then he would hear the players on the sideline talking about what he had told the coaches a week ago. Right. And I can see that coming through. And so I, I compliment you both for, for, for that piece. I appreciate that. So what, um, what, what do you think people are struggling with this year? Right. Like what are the, and what are the things that you would encourage people to, adjusting their mindset as we are in COVID still, we're hopefully starting to come out of lockdowns, right? It's, it's late February, 2021. You know, what, what are you sharing to people who are bringing you in to, you know, I don't know if it's give hope, but maybe it's give hope. Well, I'll go, I always go with, uh, especially when I'm with, with these kind of uh, interviews where I can be raw and say whatever I want. I'm not on CNN or Fox in a five minute hit where I can't cuss or speak my mind. You know, I got to edit my thoughts a little bit. Right when you asked me the question, my first brain answer was themselves. And I, and I mean that. I don't, that might have not been my answer a year ago. And I say themselves is because of this right here camera, microphone, see yourself, voice, right? I mean, I literally had a top sales guy. He's in a, like Florida. They're a little bit more progressive about where they are meeting people and wearing masks and this, that, and the other. And he, he said, I just want to get out and meet people. I just want to get out and meet people. And I said, why are you so adverse to this? Like, just get on a camera, do a vidyard, man. It takes 90 seconds. Guess what? Gets people's attention. They open it up. I already know the click rates. I know the response rates. I mean, they're hell, get a consultant from Vidyard and tell you. Don't believe me? Ask them. It's the proof. And he says to me, he says, I just don't like the way I look on camera. I said, let me ask you a question, my friend. I said, the difference between you walking in and meeting the person for lunch and the person on camera is the same. The difference is you. You're seeing yourself on the camera. When you walk into the lunch, you don't get to see yourself. Unless I put a mirror behind the person, yeah. then I get paranoid for an hour over the lunch, right? So it's this, it's, we're in the stuck mindset of we're, now we're facing, holy shit, I have to look at myself. Oh my God, is, what is that on my head right there? Oh my, I got the, that sun thing I had to get fixed from my dermatologist two months ago. True story, right? But that next week, it didn't stop me. I mean, I had this little thing on here, but I'm like hey, a little bit of cover makeup. Get on there and deliver, man. They're not staring into the camera lens going, hey, did Mike have something on his nose right there? They're going off my energy. They're going off my message. They're going off the tonality, just like it is in traditional sales. So I think what happens is because of technology, we're being forced to not only see ourselves. And by the way, the average person in this country has gained over 10 pounds during COVID. So you put 10 pounds on people and then you put them in front of a camera, which they're uncomfortable with. Now they really don't want to be on the camera. And that drives me absolutely bonkers, guys. When I do a meeting, and I put it right in the pre-frame. 
video, highly recommended. Okay. 20 people get it. They all accept. And I get eight people that aren't on camera. Yeah. I don't understand that. I have the same. I have a client, um, a really big client that in certain parts of the world, no, but 50 people will be on the training for two hours a day. Right. And nobody turns on the camera and it's as much cultural, I think, as it is vanity. Right. But it's, it is an interesting thing that I've noticed too, but I like how you said it's, there is no difference, right? It's just you being you, right? It's themselves. So. And I think that's the biggest part about this, the technology. It's literally, I mean, as we're talking, guys, I mean, I'm looking at that lens while we talk, you know, I've done this enough to know you don't, you know, you're not distracted. You got to stay focused, right? But, you know, a person that's not trained or doesn't do what we do, there's that awkwardness. So they get limiting beliefs about it. And they say, I don't show up well that way. I'm better in person. I'm better on the golf course because I'm a three yeah. golfer. I mean, so right. I've always said, guys, that COVID to me, and I said this in April, like April 1, COVID is the great equalizer. Totally. If you're a great golfer, guess what? You can't go to a golf course. If you're great socially and you can go to a bar, now you can't. Okay, so what are you going to do to pivot and be effective? And it just so happens that, you know, I already had some of this stuff and I was able to pivot. I'm not a great golfer. I'm decent socially, but this was just a new platform for me to be able to communicate that message. That's great. Have you, have you, have you adopted and kind of ran towards uh, some of these new channels of distribution and platforms? Like, um, you know, I'm thinking of, there's so many different revenue communities and things like that. Um, and you know, I, you know, I've been a, been a founder of, of at least one, you know, with Thursday night sales, but like, there's, there's all these, there's, uh, revenue collective Thursday night sales, rev genius, all these kind of communities. There's platforms like clubhouse now clubhouse. where clubhouse. you can, you know, hold court and, and engage and, and build an audience. There's, you know, uh, artists and, and, and content creating platforms like, like Patreon and, and things like that. Like, have you ran towards those things? Have you held back because you're like, well, if I pick that up, I got to put something else down. Curious, you know, how, how you look at some of these kind of emerging platforms and technologies. I know you mentioned Vidyard and you're leaning heavily into that. Um, but can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, no, I mean, I, the answer is I've been, I mean, thanks to you. And in, in, in all honesty, I watch what you put out there, what you guys post out. And I, you, some of the silly things like you, you had posted something on LinkedIn about if you put an image in front of your name, you know, people are yeah, going to spend emoji. I didn't know yeah. that. I didn't know that. So I learned that from you. So I'm, what I'm doing though, the last six months is paying attention to what's out there. So for this year, 21, because I do believe there's going to get this new sense of getting back to getting in front of people and new normal or whatever the heck that means. But um, I think these things are going away. I mean, these the clubhouses and these technologies are just a great way for us to communicate virtually. So I haven't leaned in hard on them, but what I have done is kept track and, you know, keep in touch with folks like you. Hey, how are, like one of my girlfriends is an author. Hey, how are you liking Clubhouse? She goes, Mike, I love it. You would love this. I'm telling you. So I'm maybe experimenting with it, but I haven't like leaned into it too hard. But I, in terms of video, this kind of platform, I love, I love bringing the people to, to my, to my brand rather than just going full blown into these technologies or, or a platform so far, so far. So for example, yeah. If I was the interview, I did an uh, interview last year with uh, one of my good friends who's an um, addiction specialist. It was the, the biggest, uh, it was basically a podcast and I'm not a podcaster, but I sat here in the same background. He was in Orange County. We did a one hour interview on things to bolster your immune system. Um, what, do, what do people need to look out for during these times for addiction things? It was probably the highest response of anything I've ever done in the middle of COVID. 
I had no idea, but it's just, are you striking a chord with people with your messaging? And I always say, I always go back to the Jim Rome days, right? Sports have a take. Don't suck. It's simple. Have a take. Don't suck. And when you have that kind of an angle with, with your own platforms, whether you're going into like a clubhouse or you're going into these forums, it's the rule still applies. Be different, be unique and have something that's going to be relevant because this world that we live in now, as you know, guys, it's ever changing, ever yeah. changing. I mean, I'm, I've been I've been thinking about this because, you know, some folks who have established themselves really well on a particular platform or in a particular industry, like we've we've got to find a way to evolve, as well, right? I mean, everybody has to kind of evolve or die or go the way of kind of irrelevance, which is not necessarily the same to me as you have to scale. I mean, we're all in our in business, you know, for ourselves, right? There's nobody hammering us saying, hey, Mike, you did $5 million last year. You got to do 10 this year, right? No, you could be like, I'm pretty cool with 5000000 million. I'm going to chill right here. But the way that you bring in that five is potentially needing to change, right? And so that's why I'm kind of asking the question, you know, somebody like Richard or I, like we, we've done a good job branding ourselves on LinkedIn, but like LinkedIn is down today for like three or four hours. So I'm just thinking like, man, I don't want to get siloed in one area. I've got to diversify a little bit. And so that's why I've been curious, you know, how folks like you who have been at this for much longer than me, you know, look at some of these new platforms and technologies that come out. And if you see opportunity or if you kind of hold back and say, well, you know, let me sort this out a little bit. You know, I, I, so I'm in that kind of sorted out a little bit phase, but I would say, and I'm a big fan of LinkedIn as well. Uh, you know, and they're, and they're doing a great job too. Uh, you know, now they've just added recently the, the audio on your bio. You saw that where you can do like a 10 second audio. Some of your listeners may not know that yet. You go in there, you do like a little 10 second, give me a quote. People get to hear your voice. I'm a big fan. I had no idea. So people, yeah, all the, a lot of people use it too, Richard, to uh, make sure that you pronounce your name right. I don't know if you know that. If you don't know how to pronounce somebody's name, they got a funky spelling or, you know, they're from a different country or something like that. I've seen people, uh, you know, enunciate properly. I'm like, well, that's a big help. It, it is. It is. And, and I, that just, that just, you know, started coming in my, in my direction a week and a half ago. So now that, and I don't even have it on there yet. Cause I've been trying to figure out what I want to say. Um, but that that's brand new. So LinkedIn's doing a good job of kind of keeping us fed and hell, they have the data and the algorithm. So they know how to point us in the direction of where people want to go. So, but I always say to people out there that maybe are still getting into it and, and you're not locked in it is, you know, find one or two that you really feel strongly about. I, I love this kind of a platform at number one and two, but to me, they, they kind of tie together. As soon as you know, we, we do our podcast, we can, record it, we can distribute it, we can put it up on YouTube, we can put it up on LinkedIn. So you kind of find a couple that you get really great at. I know Zoom, for example, they've been experimenting and doing beta with creating a community within Zoom. So if, and I looked at it when it first came out, they kind of pulled it back because they weren't ready full blown. But let's say you wanted to have a subscription to MikeLindstrom.com, you can go on my Zoom community, pay $3.95 a month or whatever you decide to you know, pay for whatever it is. And you can have your community right there within Zoom. So to me, that's interesting because I spend a lot of time on Zoom. So I think it's just different for everybody. But once you kind of find the one or two, just really be proficient and, and, and expert at those. And that's that's good enough for now, I'd say. Scott, how many are you trying to be proficient at at this point? I know LinkedIn, Clubhouse, Patreon. You know, I'm, uh, I, I tend to just leap and figure, and figure it out. And the ones that I figure out and figure out kind of quickly, I'll stick with. Um, so I, I 
you know me. Like I found out about Patreon and then like 36 hours I launched my later I launched my page. Like I just boom, I went for it. Yep. Um I have I'm I probably have a half dozen or more, Richard, that that I'd say that I'm trying to, you know, be successful with and uh it sucks a, a lot of time a lot of time away for sure. Where, where, are you guys, where are you guys with uh, Twitter? And, and I'm not being political. I mean, this was a platform. Where are you guys with Twitter? Because you've seen it kind of wean before all yeah. the political stuff. I mean, it's been weaning yeah. a little I, bit. But where are you at? With I, in, oddly enough, a, a lot of people who um, that I'm, you know, in the circle with, you know, on LinkedIn and, and whatnot, like a lot of us leaned in a lot harder to Twitter last year as far as sales community, not, not politics or, or news or anything like that, just like you know, sharing and kind of building stuff in public, you know, sh sharing more thoughts that we would otherwise put on, on LinkedIn into little tweet, you know, kind of sound bites and, and threads and things like that. So, you know, I, I had only used it to like kind of goof around and, and get the news up until a year ago. And, and I've doubled my follower count on, on LinkedIn in the last, I don't know, 12 ish months or so, but it's, it's still minuscule by comparison. Uh, you know, to, to the following that I have on, on, on LinkedIn. What about you, Richard? Yeah. So I've, I've picked Twitter back up probably because I saw Scott picking it up. Like I, you know, I always give Scott ideas and then he runs with them and then I have to come back and follow him again. <laughs> um, Cause he out, he outshines me. Um, although Twitter no, was not, uh, Twitter was not I one just of go. I just go. I don't think about the consequences. I just, I hear an idea. <laughs> this is why we're go. good friends. This is why we are who we are, Scott. Um, so I'm, so I'm, it's interesting. I've started using it more. I like it. I like the fact that it's a little more instantaneous. I like the fact that it's direct when people do something right. Um, it feels like a closer touch than a LinkedIn reply. And I don't know why, but for me, psychologically, that's what it feels like. Um, and it could be maybe because I don't get a, I get a little bit of engagement, but not a ton. So maybe I'm excited by, you know, Ooh, that's different. Um, but I'm also a stockholder, so I'm very happy that the price is back up. So, um, you know, it's only taken me eight years to get back above water on that one. So, uh, but I, I credit I credit Scott's brother Taylor uh, since he works there, and I know he's you know he's making it all beautiful inside. So, well, you know, I agree. I agree with you, by the way. On and I, I'm not against Twitter one way or another. I just I talk about you know leaning in as well. I just haven't leaned in as hard. I, I did for a long time, and I was one of the I don't. I don't remember what number, but the first year they came out, I was on it. I loved it. My wife's in media, so she was using Twitter. And it's for, for news people, you got to be there. She's doing reports, breaking news, hashtagging. So she's been doing that for you know eight years. Um, but a perfect example, I was, I was, my eyes were going so good this past year. So I, I've always loved Scott Van Pell on ESPN. So I follow him on Twitter, and I sent him a, I sent him a, a tweet. I didn't, I didn't DM him. I sent him a tweet, and I, it was very honest. And I, you can see my picture. Within like an hour, he responded back. I wanted to see what kind of uh, frames he was wearing, what exact frames, because I liked the way it looked on a bald dude. Very responsive, right? Jim Rome, he owns horses. My dad owns horses in Northern California. And uh, I had sent him a tweet. Uh, and, and again, this wouldn't have happened, I think, you're right, on LinkedIn or maybe on Facebook. You wouldn't even be connected. But Twitter, he immediately responds. Hey, man, what section are you sitting in? Where are the owner section? I feel like I'm having this interaction with Jim Rome at the same track while our horses are about to run. So that that personal connection with people, even if you're distant, is definitely there. Whereas LinkedIn, I think business people have you know that mindset of, oh, Twitter is for like celebrities and, and, and influencers that I don't need to go in that pond. And, and I'm not a believer. I think to, to your point, Scott, 
I think you should be in multiple ponds for sure. I'm not in six to eight like you are, but four for sure. But I'm, that's not true. I'm probably in six to eight, but I'm really focused on three to four. But you've got to expand your pond, especially if you're doing what we do, influencing and getting your brand out there. Yeah, yeah. What's your, I know we're, we're sort of getting towards the end, but I, I want to shift this entirely. Um, you know, all three of us have, have worked with different companies and, you know, I think we have, we have some light into it, but I'd love to hear what are the tips you tell companies when they're looking to hire a consultant or trainer? You know, my approach has always been, look, this is what I do. If I don't do it, I'll turn you over to somebody else, right? Like I'm not going to, I know my swim lane, right? That's what, that's my line with them. And so taught so often they don't know how to vet any of us. Right. So for me, I think many of the times I win is because I help them through the buying, helping them understand how to buy. Right. Which I think you probably do too, but what are tips you give to people when they're looking for a consultant? You know what? You nailed it right there. That's one of the biggest things. It's almost authentic to a fault. If somebody tells me, Hey, Mike, you know, we got to be full disclosure. We're interviewing three other uh, consultants before, you know, we're going to make a final decision. I, I always let them know, here, here's my advice. Ask every one of us, myself included, what's a differentiator? What makes them unique as a consultant? Don't, don't, you can, they're going to tell you their purpose and their why, and all, which they should. That's fundamental. If you don't have purpose and why and those things you know, down, that you shouldn't even be in the game. But if, what's the differentiating factor? Why is it specifically that you'd want to hire me? Now, I want them to ask that question of others because that's my favorite question when people ask me. Because that's when I get real. I, I give them examples. Look, I may cuss. I'm going to get real. I'm going to talk about my shortcomings. Okay. But I'm going to get your people doing the same thing. I'm going to be real with you. And that's where I usually get the leader's attention. I go at the leader first because I know every human being, right, right? That's the name of my book, has a story. So if I could get that leader's attention on that call going, God, he's kind of talking to me. Like my parents were divorced and I'm, I'm kind of screwed up in my own way. Maybe I need to maybe I need this guy, right? So if I can get their attention by using my value, which is being raw, being real, being authentic with people and getting their attention and shake them up, uh, even at the fault of someone not liking me for the moment, and they can put that on the other three or four people I'm competing against, I feel pretty good about my chances, right? So that's the one thing. But the second thing that I love that you do that I do as well is coaching them through. Say, look, it, I, whether I win or not, I still want to maintain a long-term relationship with you. Okay. Number one. So here's what I would recommend you do. Ask these questions, differentiator being one, but make sure they do this, this, and this. If they're not doing this, this, and this, they shouldn't even be in the conversation. So they feel like they have this insider when they haven't even hired me yet, because I'm kind of coaching them through how it should be. I'm just waiting for you to come off mute, Richard. I didn't say anything though, dude. I I felt like you were about to talk. I could feel you getting ready. I'm way better this year, brother. (laughs) Way, way better. You are doing so good. You're doing so good about this. Oh, Mike, I can't believe we're almost out of time, dude. We should have blocked like, you know, three hours. Hey, I'll come back and we'll have it. We could come back and do us, you know, now that people know who I am or our relationship, we could come back this year and talk on a specific topic. Or even an open up, we can say, "Hey, we're going to have you know yeah. us on and do open Q and A." I would love to do. We're going to we're going to do that. Richard and I do these live webinar sessions, Mike. Um, I'm in. We call them bond bonfire sessions, and uh, you know we've got some we've got some good ideas coming up here in the next couple of weeks, and, uh, and some good topics with some good partners. What we is, can do, and and sorry, go ahead, go Richard. Ahead. I was going to say, Mike, what like if if someone said to you, "Hey, we want to have you do something live, pick a topic next week," what would that be? Like, what's the first thing, Mike? Um, doesn't have to be sales or business. Like, just make it vulnerable. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I always go, my, my, my core is, you know, it, I mean, that's, I'm not promoting, that's my book back there, right? But what's your story? That's my, that's my whole platform. What's your story? So when I'm asking somebody personally, professionally, what's your story, that, that's going to imply a bunch of other things. You have to be vulnerable. You're going to be real with people. And, and this, this applies to leadership. It applies to sales. It applies to being a, a father for me. It could be a mother. But getting people to understand that concept so if you're going to give me something that's not topical, yeah, I could talk on COVID and depression and all that stuff, whatever. And that's true. I'm not poo-pooing it. That's a real fact and real data points that we should talk about and, and, and give it a forum because people are struggling out there. Um, but if you gave me like my topics I would want to talk about, it's somehow some way going to be tied to getting people to understand being vulnerable is, is a power. Getting people to ask powerful questions and open people up is a power. Um, this whole thing of, oh, yeah, I keep my personal life and, and my business life separate. Bullshit. Guess what? Not they anymore. Come, Not anymore. <laughs> they come together. It's, yeah, yeah, you're in my home. You're in my office. You're looking at my wife up there. I'm looking at your toilet in the background on your Zoom <laughs> call, right? I mean, this is yeah. the reality of it. So when you can talk about these things in a real way, I think that's the biggest thing that people want to hear and they, or they need to hear. Yeah. That's great. Well, well, we'll work with you on that stuff, man. We would love to have you on the bonfire session. I also run these tequila Tuesday sessions that maybe I could try to try oh. to get you on, get you some, you know, oh. some, uh, some new, new followers and, and, and whatnot. Oh, man. But we want to thank uh, Salesforce revenue cloud gong.io and, and lead 411.com for helping us put on service sales podcast, as well as the bonfire sessions that we've been doing uh, all year. And we'll continue to do in, in March, Mike, at the end of every show, we say to people, how can we be helpful to you, if at all? You got any questions for us or, you know, what are you working on? If you want to give a, give a plug to something, this is your time. Yeah, I mean, obviously, my, my website, I'm actually in the process of redoing it. So if people go there now, it's, it's there, but I'm in the process of redoing it. MikeLindstrom.com. There's a D in my last name, Lindstrom.com. Uh, you know, my book, What's Your Story? That's the, uh, the cover of it. I'm proud of it. We're coming up on Father's Day in June. Um, that's one of my favorite identities, you know, and having a 12 year old, nine year old son and talking about how to parent during these challenging times, um, you know, reach out to me through my website. Uh, but the, you know, the biggest thing that that I want people to do is, is to think about the people in your own life. This is almost like you're giving me the, the baton and I'm handing it back to people. And, and I, I mean this. Reach out to a handful of people in your life. Just make it a, a pattern every week. Write down, you know, I'm a journal guy, as you know, Scott. You know, I write down a handful of names every week in my weekly plan of people in my life that I want to reach out to, personally or professionally. And this is pick up the phone. Not DM, not text, not Facebook likes. Okay, this is pick up the phone, old school, and just call up your buddy from college or someone that you know and just say, how you doing? Right. I've been paying that forward because someone gifted me that in April of last year. And I've been making that a habit every week, every week since then. I have five new people that I'm reaching out to, either my family. It could be I talked to my cousin in Vegas a month ago. I had no idea things that were going on in his life. I just see his stuff on Facebook. and It's like, oh, he's doing great. He's a real estate agent. He's killing it. You know, not so much. You got things going on in his life. So I, I want to challenge everybody out there, you know, to, to bring that habit into your life, especially now people are struggling. Uh, we are isolated and, and depending on where you are, you are in the country. Uh, but that's been my big message uh, the last few months for sure. I love that. Thanks for the, thanks for the gift of, and inspiration there. I, I have to end with one like comical kind of, I'm dying that you pulled out the notebook because Mike always has a notebook, Richard. And I actually, I, I'm not as good with like a particular notebook and the fancy kind of notebooks, 
But I actually think one of the reasons that Mike actually liked me or like gave me any attention is because I'm always taking notes. Always. Whenever somebody's talking, I'm always jotting stuff down and all this kind of kind of thing. And I remember him years later, this is probably like six years ago or so in Scottsdale, Mike. I, I had Mike come talk to my sales team down there and he was doing a training to the team and I was taking notes and a lot of my fucking salespeople weren't. And Mike like said something about it. So I'm dying seeing the notebook, Mike. Do, so, so Scott, you, do you, do you, you have a change, man? No. Scott, do you credit Mike with the red pen and resurrecting that I idea? Or is that I don't, give, I don't give him, I don't give him credit for the red pen. No, no, definitely no. Not I give him, no, he's the notebook guy though. Always taking notes. And that, that's what, that was my, one of my favorite takeaways from uh, my Robbins days was what's planned is possible. What's written is real. And when, when we came into our meetings with Tony, our sales team, we had him privately. We like, we were his soldiers. We brought revenue to the organization. So we always treated us a little differently than the rest of the company. Cause we were like his extension of how he built this company way back. And if you came into a meeting without preparation, he would, he would rake you over the coals and say, so Mike, it never happened to me. Thank God. I was warned about the, the deal about doing it, but we had a rookie <laughs> come in Atlanta and a guy came in a little ill-prepared. And we, we didn't say anything because he was the rookie. So we wanted him to get haze because Tony's the best hazer on the planet. So he comes in there, you know, Tony's six foot seven, stand at the head of the table. And he goes, all right, Chuck, I see you came here prepared not to learn anything. That's fucking awesome. That says a lot about you. Right? Wow. I said, going, man, just, Tony's just ripping this guy. Oh, that's so great. Ear. I'm going to have to borrow that one. So, so. hey, and I, and I do. I mean, I do my, my philosophy, don't judge, be curious. But when I'm giving a seminar and I see people in the front row or in a room and they're, they're literally sitting there, no pen or paper or anything, it just says a lot about who they are as a person. That's just yeah. not what I would want on my team. That's not who I'd want to hang around. And that's not who I'd want selling for me. Yep, I yeah. agree. Awesome, man. I got like 20 more questions I could ask, but I know we got to wrap. So uh, all right, guys, it has been a pleasure. Thank you so much, guys. I appreciate it, Scott. It's always awesome to have this uh, reversal and and partnership in life now where it started, where it is now. Thank you. Yeah, man. Thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate it, Mike. Take care. Peace.